0: and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow.
1: Ask the Dean is coming to you all live today, episode 86. Hope everyone's doing well. I am Verenia Granum, one of the um, uh, advising deans or admissions advisors here at MAPT, uh, joined today by the lovely Rachel Grubbs, our co founder. Hi. hello hello how's every how's everything
0: it's excellent it's uh rainy and about to turn into ice so i'm
1: enjoying the rain while we've got it
2: nice
1: Nice. okay and the inimitable dr scott wright
2: hello 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 how's everybody doing (laughs)
1: Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> doing
2: good. I think we're, you're expecting bad yeah, weather too, we're, right? We're supposed to get ice uh, tonight and tomorrow too, so yikes. Oh, fun times. Yep. yep, yep.
1: Yeah, New York got hit pretty badly where I am this past weekend, so I guess it's your it's your turn now.
2: Yeah, our turn.
1: <laughs> Yay. So today is um, just us flying solo without Dr. Gray. Um, we hope he's, he's enjoying the broadcast. <sighs> Uh, but yeah, we'll go ahead and get started with uh, answering some of your questions.
2: Awesome! And happy um, Groundhog Day! Yeah, he saw a shadow. <laughs>
1: Did he? I didn't even know.
2: Yep, yep, he saw a shadow. Was. So six uh, weeks more. How is that more.
0: possible? Isn't it raining across the entire country?
2: <laughs> I, I, I just heard it on the news. I, I, I don't, I don't pretend to know. Wait, you're not more the arbitrator? That. No, 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 no. Arbiter, no, arbiter. arbiter. No, no. <laughs>
1: And today I get to drive. So please bear with me. I just got my license. Okay, (laughs) first question is from JB. Hi, I was a COVID temperature screener at a car company scanning over 500 employee temperatures per day and asked COVID exposure questions. I did this for about 500 hours. Is this clinical? These were employees and not patients. Hmm. What do you think, Dr. Wright? (laughs)
2: Well, um, I would say uh, this is a, a hard one. Um, I think my feeling would be um, you could probably make a case, a slim case, for it being clinical. Although, I would say uh, probably a, a lot of medical schools would be like, "Yeah, that's not clinical. It's not in a clinical setting." It's right. you know so.
1: Although we say that all the time doesn't it's not really the setting right it's it's right. More, more your, your yeah. interaction but but I think for me the key thing is is that these are employees and not patients yeah. right so that's one one aspect of it um, yeah. you're not providing direct care to a patient
2: right
1: um sort of in a in a health setting um,
2: yeah but you know but I, I would say JB to, to your question you know, as we have said often, um, you're going to make the call on that. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you say it's clinical, and you make the contention in the in the description. Of what you did and, you know, maybe an experience that you had with one of the employees that you got to, you know, talk talk to more and uh, kind of what that meant to you or whatever uh, and what you got out of it. You could make the contention and it wouldn't be argued with, you know, a medical school like, might be like, oh, I'm not sure about that, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I would yeah. say, you know, do what you want to do, but just back it up.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think I would vote the opposite and, and that's okay. Cause that maybe reflects exactly the point that Vernie and right. Scott are making, right. That this might be one that has some mm-hmm. contention on adcoms. Um I think the way JB has represented it here is very weak. Right. So like if mm-hmm. this were his activity essay, it would sound bad. <laughs> right, right? right. But right. we talk about COVID screening as clinical all the time. Yeah, we do. Um. Mm-hmm. It's just that normally people aren't kind of going out of their way to almost like disprove their COVID screening as work. But those employees are patients, right? Because we're all sort of healthcare patients, right? And he's, mm-hmm. you know, for me, the rule of thumb with clinical is are you interacting directly with the person in a way directly related to their healthcare? Yeah, good point. And he's taking their yeah. temperatures. Yeah. Now, it does sound to me like pretty weak clinical because he's just going zip zip, 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 and not getting sustained interactions. So, uh, again, as, as we're proving to you, JB, it's subjective and you have to make the case. I personally would call it clinical. I would also call it pretty weak clinical and hope mm. that you get something where you get to have more meaningful interactions. Exactly. Um, not just because of it, whether or not it gets to count as clinical on your... Uh, application but right. because clinical and we've said this a bunch of times but apparently we have to say it just about every week clinical is how you confirm whether or not you have the desire to be a physician so you need to be going day in day out looking forward to it it shouldn't be something that is you know i don't have time for it because of studying it's it's the most exciting part of your week you can't wait to get back to be with the patients um and and if if clinical isn't doing that for you, then it probably means you need to find a different clinical experience. And if you try lots and you still don't like it, well, then maybe being a physician is not for you. So, um, so yeah, for, from an arbitration on your on your application standpoint, yeah, maybe. But that's not the real point. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. Thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, Rachel's feeling helps. real
1: up on her high horse today.
2: Good <laughs> points, to Rachel. Good
1: <laughs> points, <to> Rachel. <laughs> All right. Okay, question from Joseph. Um, If I went to multiple schools, do I have to put all of the grades from all of the schools on the application? And the short answer is yes, Joseph, you have to report all grades from any um, institution attended in the United States. Um, Whether or not you earned a credit, it's pass fail, if it's, you know, an F, a D, a withdrawal, whatever it is, you have to report every course.
2: Even if it was transferred into another institution as transfer credit, you still have to enter it as you took it at that other school. Right. Right.
0: Correct.
1: Albert asks Does an upward trend go based on just the amount of credits taken, or do the number of semesters count as well? For example, two semesters versus four but equal amounts of credits between the two
2: scenarios.
1: Hmm. So I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm following the question. Yeah. So
2: I, I think uh, my, my feeling would be, cause on the graph, if you, you know, w- when you're, when mapped is graphing it, there's going to be four semesters in, in one of the, our, our, uh, in one of these, um, for example, two semesters versus four, he says. Mm -hmm. So two semesters are going to be graphed as two columns, whereas four semesters are going to be graphed as four columns. And that is where it's going to, graphing it out, it's going to make it look more extensive. Mm -hmm. It's going to make the trend look more extensive. Mm -hmm. Now, what an admissions committee member might do is go, well, you know, yeah, he, he did four semesters, but he only took, You know, six hours in one of those Mm. semesters or in two of those semesters or three hours in one of those semesters. So I think they're going to be looking really at both, uh, Albert, in terms of, you know, what what, when they're looking at trends, they're often going to be looking at credit hours as opposed to number of semesters. But they'll see both.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was having a little bit of a hard time Mm. understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Mm Question from Muhammad. Hi, can you talk about the FlexMed program? So I'm not too familiar with it, but I believe it's um, an early, uh, like an early assurance program. Is that correct? From your you experience? know, I don't
2: know the answer.
1: I've heard of it just in passing. Um, but we can always.
0: Yeah, so they're, they're early assurance programs early action, that allow yeah. you to get admission mm-hmm. sophomore year. Uh, Mohammed, why don't you narrow down your question? I'm sorry, I should have messaged you rather than putting this on air. But um, yeah, let us know specifically what it is you're looking for.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I'm not.
1: There's so many different programs. I mean, we try to stay on top of as much of it as we can, but of course, there's always. Um, Something out there that we just maybe are not that familiar
2: with. Right, right.
1: RM asks, "What is the cost of Application Academy? I teach Zumba and fitness co- and fitness coach other individuals. How do I classify these on application? So there's two there's two questions here, <laughs> Rachel. Uh, RM, thank you for giving me
0: a moment to be able to have a sales pitch. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> Application Academy. Um, is a 40-week group coaching program. It is the only way to work with Dr. Gray this year. Um, at this point, he's closed to any other kinds of advising. So if you're interested in working with Dr. Gray, Academy is the way to do it. It's 40 weeks of taking you through every step of the application process. So right now we just wrapped up doing profile assessments and we're working on personal statements literally this week and we'll keep doing every step of the application all the way through interview prep in August, September, October. So um, it gets you 160 hours because we do four sessions a week. So 160 hours of time with Dr. Gray, plus the three of us, Scott, Verrini and I, Um, we do office hours every week. And then we also have a course TA who's a rising med student. Um, she'll do her MS one this year at her top choice school. And she's a graduate of last year's cohort and she was a reapplicant, So really exciting that we helped her tweak that application to get to her top choice school. Um, so now that I've done the pitch, the tuition is $500. So an incredible, I mean, it's an investment, but an incredible deal for all those hours you're getting and enrollment closes this Friday, um, so it's, it's definitely time to enroll if you are interested because you only have a couple days left. Yep. 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 Boom. There it is. Hard <laughs> to type of banner and talk. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to turn that into a scrolling at the bottom so we can get back to RM's other question, yeah. which was what? I already lost it.
1: Um, there it is. How to categorize Zumba and fitness coaching. Um, or how to classify them on the application.
2: Yeah. So I, I would say, RM, that you could classify those in several different ways. Um, you could classify them as leadership. Uh, you are being a leader as by coaching these individuals, whether it's in Zumba or whether it's fitness. You could do it as teaching. Uh, you could, so it, it, you could do it as employment if you're getting uh, paid for it, or if not getting paid for it, it could be service. So, you know, I think you end up having to just choose what you think. And, uh, and then, and then uh, as we said with one of the other answers, uh, and then just, you know, make a good uh, case for yourself for why you, you know, chose that particular, uh, that particular mm-hmm. thing. Yep. Okay.
1: Moving on. Akash asks, I'm in a paramedic program where I have 200 hours on ambulance, 200 in hospital with IV practice and 100 lead paramedic hours. Do these hours count as volunteer hours? Well, Akash, it depends on, you know, are you getting paid for this experience uh in which case no it wouldn't be volunteer right it's um a paid clinical position at that point um so i guess we'd you'd have to clarify that um if it's like a training program um if it's specifically a volunteer program yeah, yeah the way i volunteer. read
0: that mm-hmm. it sounds like it's training mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i don't think training counts as clinical mm-hmm. um no but it's hard to tell from what paramedic program mean right Right. So if you want to send us a quick note and clarify, yeah, clarify what what you did. I know it's challenging because I'm always asking you guys, you students, to keep your, your comments and your questions yeah. pithy and fit to one. But then sometimes it means we miss context. So right. keep working on those perfect 200 character
1: <laughs> questions. <laughs> it's good uh, practice. It's good practice right. for the application. And, and it is. It is. <laughs> okay. Haneen, Haneen asks, what is the CASPER exam and why do some schools require a CASPER exam? So the CASPER exam, um, it's similar to the AMC's right situational judgment test, which is now called Preview. Um, Correct. It's changed. Mm-hmm. The name has changed, but it's uh, basically designed to kind of gauge those soft skills, not necessarily academic skills, right? And human interaction skills that you, you'd have on a, on a day-to-day basis um, in very specific types of scenarios um, as to why some schools require them. I mean, Dr. Wright, maybe you can give us some insight into,
2: into yeah, that. I would say that um, the f- first of all, Casper is still relatively new in terms mm-hmm. of the you know, extend, extended history of medical education, and e- even in the modern era, uh, it's pretty new. It's it's still within five or six years of of implementation and uh and so some schools are still some schools are requiring it but they're not using it in their process they're just studying how it could have affected the process had they used it other schools are actually using it in their in their application process now those those student those uh, schools that are using it in their admissions process i think from from my understanding from from uh, admissions teams that I've been in contact with you know what they use it for is is trying to assess uh, skills that are not being that they currently don't have an assessment uh, to look at so this is most mm-hmm. meaningful prior to the interview and uh, you're everyone is submitting a, a casper exam s- a score and they're looking at what the score means in terms of are there any red flags relative to to the to the uh, things that uh, Verenia, you know, mentioned. It's, it's, it's getting you to respond to these situations. Uh, how would you handle this? What would you do? Uh, that kind of stuff to see if there's any. And they're looking for, you know, my understanding is that really, it's it's looking for the tails, uh, most notably the, the negative tail mm-hmm. uh, of the of the curve, where where there are concerns about your responses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not testing your writing ability, uh, grammar, and stuff like that. It is testing how you can uh, relate uh not verbally in writing mm-hmm. uh but it, it really is looking at your your um responses to what you would do in these situations and that gives the admissions committee some insight into to more more insight into these soft skills that uh, right. for any referred to
1: Right. And there's no real way to study for something like this, mm-hmm. right? These are all just gut check instinctively. Yeah. How would you react or yeah. how would you handle a situation?
2: So there's no Yeah. And I would you know, I would say you could go to the there is some information and some practice things mm-hmm. on the Casper website that you can mm-hmm. look at. Now there are companies already selling Casper mm-hmm. prep you know courses or materials Mm. or stuff like that and you know my sense about that is i don't think it's necessary i think you just go into it and you just do it there's not really a you know, I so one of my applicant uh student applicants the other day uh said something about that he had heard which basically means he read it on Reddit or Instagram. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that he um that it would be good to read this certain book and I can't remember what the book was and I was like, you know, I think it's a waste of time, but if you want to read the book, you know, fine. Sure. You got time All to right. read another book. Okay.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, um I we, Our course TA for Application Academy, Morgan, uh, she answered a question about Casper in the Monday office hours. And she was like, I thought it was really fun. It was kind of like an MMI, except just mm-hmm. in writing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really smart way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think often the people who get stressed about Casper are the same people who get stressed about interviews because they think there's a credited response. Yeah. And if I don't give that exact credited response, then I'm going to fail. And that kind of attitude is sort of getting away from what this is meant to yeah. do. It's meant to show how you're thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's less about convincing the test administrators that oh, I made the exact right choice and more about here's what I'm thinking when I approach this scenario. Um, So if you, if you can kind of flip that to in the same way that you guys as physicians will be giving your patients diagnostic exams to learn more about their body and their health. um, People aren't passing and failing those tests. You're just trying to get more, more data. Um, It's, it's like that just, yeah, they want to understand how you think. That's right. Um,
1: All right. Definitely. Amy K. Hi, Amy. Um, Amy says, I have a 3.4 cumulative GPA and a 3.2 science GPA. I did a post-bac of 30 credits, 20 of which were science, and got a 4.0. Uh, that is the only upward trend. Should I do a special master's program? Can I do one for next school year and apply this cycle? So a bunch of questions in there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, this reminds me
0: of uh, those GMAT questions for I'm a test prep person um, with GMAT. There are a bunch of math questions and some of them you have to solve. And some of them are, here's a problem. Can you solve it? And sometimes the answer is insufficient data. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Like, Amy, I don't know if we can answer this question based on this information. Yeah. I think it's um, a
2: deeper, deeper dive. Yeah. yeah. You
0: want to talk about why? So she can take some of those gleanings and apply them to herself.
2: Are you talking to me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, I think that my my first concern here is that only twenty of the credits mm-hmm. you took in the postback yeah. were were science. Mm-hmm. That that's to me twenty hours of science at a four point is not a good level of coursework for a trend, for a, a really stable trend.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so having said that. Um, I, I don't know that, you know. I, so I, I'm assuming that the post-bac you did were, were undergraduate credits. You don't really say that, but, and then you, because then you ask, should I do a special master's program? Uh, I mean, you could. Um, I think that would certainly be helpful to the process. It's not to say that if you don't do it, you can't get in. But um, so, you know, that's where a deeper dive might be necessary. As to the question with regard to can I do one for next school year in terms of a special master's program and apply this cycle, you can do that, but the medical schools are not going to put any credibility in Mm -hmm. the fact that you're currently in a program because they don't know the results, you know, they don't, they don't know how you're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's all future stuff. So typically future stuff is, is not near as meaningful as past stuff.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And um, what I would add to that, Amy, is you don't talk about the rest of your application. So while those grades aren't stellar, they're certainly not horrible. What we don't know is how your MCAT prep is going Mm -hmm. when when you took or will take that and how you're doing on practice tests. We don't know about your meaningful experiences and what kind of clinical work you've done. So you're asking us if you wanna throw down another $50,000 on grades, I mean, maybe, but what we don't know is, is that even the weakest part of your application? There might be something else that you could be doing that's actually gonna help you more. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it's a uh, it's, it's tough to answer with with the limited context.
2: Right, right, yeah, exactly. Cool.
0: But you can go watch Am I Ready's on, Mapped, on this yeah. channel, MAP.TV, yep. and see yep. Dr. Scott, de- deep dive and get a sense of what those things are.
2: <laughs> yep,
0: yep. All right.
1: Anushka Sunshine, what a lovely name. Yeah. Uh, hope, <laughs> hope you all are doing well. When is the best time to ask for a letter of recommendation? Is asking now too soon? Well, Anishkan, no, it's not too soon. Now is actually the perfect time. You want to ask for the letter uh, in the year that you are applying. So if you are applying this cycle, absolutely, now is a, now is a perfect time to start asking for those.
2: Yep. Anishkan- and let me just put a, a, a good word in for the AAMC letters document. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guide for letter writers that students can send to your, to your letter writer. Uh, we I, I suggest that you send a copy of your updated current resume, uh, a personal a copy of your personal statement, as well as this got gu- this letters guide from the double AMC. Those three documents, I think, are very helpful to uh, letter writers to be able to have a little bit more context uh, for who you are, what you've done, all that stuff. And uh, the, the letter writing guide from the double AMC is very helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. As well, and you can find that. Right. Just type in "letter of recommendation" L O R or "letter of recommendation guidelines" uh, at Double and you, yep. you Google that, and you'll you'll find it
0: that's right great
2: and by the way i have to mention that anushka your little pomeranian that oh. you have on your picture is so adorable and i have a pomeranian you can well, see him i was gonna say on the chair behind me my you're, little black pomeranian you're,
1: you're a little biased
2: <laughs> yeah i am a little biased <laughs> that is a super cute pupper though right <laughs>
1: it's all fur probably too <laughs> you get him wet and it's all like a
2: little yep. skinny
1: right
0: yeah. fur and ego yeah. Sometimes those little dogs—they're the ones that are like, oh. "I think I'm a big dog." <laughs> oh,
2: mind as dead. Wilkie is so that way.
1: <laughs> uh, ooh, good one from Ashley. Great, Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Uh, I am an EMT currently in paramedic school, looking to transfer to a four-year school and get my BS in EMS. I have—I have been told this may not be considered a real science degree. Even though it contains all of the prereq classes for medical school, should I consider a different degree? Even though I am passionate about EMS, Mm. well, I have to say this is the first time that I've heard of a BS in EMS. Um, I've didn't know of that being an option. I mean, I I think I think it's if it's an accredited degree, if it's an accredited program, it's a it's a undergraduate degree. um, It really we talk about this all the time. Your major doesn't matter. What you're studying in college isn't that. You know that's not what's going to get you into medical school necessarily. It's more so obviously your you know your activities and your stats. Um, but but what do our other experts have to, to say about that?
2: Yeah, I, I get. So my my concern here, uh, Ashley, is um, that w- where you say even though it contains all the prereq classes for the med for med school, and what I want to make sure is that when you say that the courses you take for prereqs have to be courses within the corresponding department so in other words mm-hmm. biology if you take bio101 it has to be in biology if you take you know typically i mean this is this is 90, 99% of the time it has to be within the context of a of the discipline based department at the university and a good example of this is anatomy and physiology uh, if anatomy and physiology is offered via the EMS department, it may not likely would not count toward your biology credit uh, for um, for the prerequisite. Uh, so just be careful that you know that the prerequisites are going to be uh, taken and are going to count toward the uh, toward fulfilling those prerequisite requirements by the medical schools. Uh, so that having been said, I don't think it's a problem. Uh, I don't agree that, um, it would be, I, you know, what, what sticks out to me in this is you say, I am passionate about EMS. If you're passionate about it, you go for it. And, uh, but just know ahead of time that, uh, you know, what you're, what you're taking, and, and what the, and, and as long as there, hopefully there's an advisor at your school mm-hmm. that will be able to verify that they have had students go through their program and they go on to medical school and that the, the courses and all that met all the requirements, et cetera. So if you, you know, verify that via a, uh, an advisor at the institutional level. But I, I would uh, say that I, I would not be as concerned mm-hmm. uh, about this as, as you seem to be.
0: Yeah, and that's a common issue with nursing students too, yes, right? I mean, exactly. we've seen other pre health ex- yes. right. students who who are taking dedicated prereqs for their profession. And, and it's not just specific to, to pre health. I mean, most large state schools have lots and lots of tiers of bio and chem, and you just mm-hmm. have to make sure you're taking the one that's
1: for the pre med track.
2: Correct. Um, right. That's correct. That's correct. Mm-hmm.
1: I had a student recently who, um, their program or their major, um, all their prereqs were under the life sciences department. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a little bit trickier, um, because it wasn't specific, you know, like mm-hmm. specifically biology or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, but then when you looked at, you know, the content a little bit more, you could right. see okay, yeah, right. This is an actual bio course. Yeah. All right. Let's keep trucking. Cass asks, do medical schools look down on being a caretaker or aid to a family member as being the bulk of clinical experience? I have other experiences, but this does take up a lot of my time. Thanks so much. So that's a good question, Cass, Um, especially since it's the bulk of your experience. Um, Yes, it's considered um you know valuable experience working with a patient but it's very different to care of a loved to take care of a loved one um as opposed to you know taking care of someone who's not related to you so my only concern is that that being the bulk of your experience um, i don't know what the other experiences are that you have Um, But I think I think that might be viewed sort of in a different light. What do you think, Dr. Wright?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that I I, I honed in on exactly the same thing you did, Brenia, the Mm -hmm. bulk, the word bulk. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know maybe a more specific breakdown of, Mm -hmm. well, you know, 80% 80% of my time, 80% of my clinical experience has been with as a caretaker to my family member, 20%, and then what the numbers are, our numbers are related to each of those percentages uh, to know kind of how that's going to play out before an admissions committee. I, I don't think it's going to be looked down upon, as you said, it, that, that it's that you're ca- caretaking for a family member. I think the thing that may be the concern is that you don't have as much clinical experience as you said, Verenia with strangers, you know, because you really, you really do relate to strangers in a different way than you, than you do um, to a family member or a loved one.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's important work you're doing Cass. but that's actually one of the kind of like, jokes that we make about the importance of clinical is it's one thing to take care of your grandma and it's something else to take care of someone else's grandma um especially if the whole family is there nervous and stressing you out and i mean they're they're stressed for a reason right um so but yeah it uh i don't think they look down upon it they just want to see more more in depth exactly Mm -hmm.
1: right but good on you for being able to care for and aid a family member
2: yeah Yeah, absolutely that's
1: not an easy job Mm-hmm. Rashid. Rashid asks, uh, I'm from Pakistan. I have done my Master of Science in Chemistry from Pakistan with a GPA of 3.1. Can I get admission into a uh, U.S. medical school? So, Rashid, um, it's, this is sort of limited information, but it seems like you have not um, earned a, a deg- or degree here in the United States, um, which will potentially present a problem. Um, what's your experience with this, Dr. Wright? Right.
2: Yeah, I I think as it stands here, as we see what you've said, Rashid, I I don't think you would be eligible. Um, My assumption is that your bachelor's degree is also in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And if if that's true, then you're going to have to at least get 90 hours of college credit here Mm -hmm. in the US, including meeting all the prerequisite courses in uh, amongst those 90 hours. And you know, being from Pakistan, my assumption is that you're an you you would be an international student, and uh, three point one two as an international student is is going to be tough. And mm. uh, so i would I would say in those ninety hours uh, that you'll be taking, you you will really want to ramp that up uh, to uh, to be at a, a much higher level, and th- and that's possible, and that would represent a uh, you know that's what they're going to the the lion's share of what the admissions committee is going to look like look at uh is your gpa amongst those 90 hours they're not going to pay attention they're going to see that you have a master's degree in chemistry from pakistan they're going to see you know they're going to see all this but they're they're really going to concentrate on those those uh courses that you've taken in the u.s
1: yep
0: yeah, I don't think it's fair, but it is the way yep. it goes. Uh, yep. U.S. med schools only really care about U.S. undergraduate education. Yep. Right. Small exceptions for Canada. Right.
2: Yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: they're, they're North American biased.
2: Yep, yep, this is true.
1: Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, I was just put on the wait list at the only school that I interviewed at. Would a letter of intent be appropriate? I think so. Yep. I think in this case it would be absolutely appropriate. Yep. Um, so, uh, especially since you've been on the wait list, it kind of just says you know I'm still very interested in attending. Um, you know, if you've done anything more, you know, recently that that's sort of worthy of mentioning, you could potentially mention it. But the whole goal of the letter is to say I am still very interested in the school. So yeah,
2: it's yeah. appropriate. And just be very front, <laughs> up front with mm-hmm. it. Don't don't you know. Mess around with a lot of flowery language and go on and on about stuff or whatever. Just say, Mm -hmm. I interviewed, had a great time, really connected with the school. Mm -hmm. I really want to uh, go to school here. If you bring me off the wait list, I will attend. Mm -hmm. So just overt,
1: yeah, to to the point out there. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Hanin asks, I read on MSAR that some schools require you to give an answer two to four weeks after getting an acceptance. What if I get an acceptance to a medical school, but I still want or I'm still waiting on a top choice medical school to get back to me? Hmm. So this is a question of, um, you know, mm-hmm. basically you're holding an acceptance right now. Um, but you're kind of holding out, waiting to see if you hear from your top choice school. What do you think, Dr. Wright or Rachel?
2: Look, I, definitely, I definitely think that you accept the offer that you've got. You do everything they ask you to do because you have no guarantee whatsoever that you're going to get into your top choice school. So you do yeah. everything they've asked you to do. You sign every form, you do that. And then if your top choice school comes, at, comes to you and says, hey, we want you, then you go back to the other school and say, "Sorry, I, I, I can't come. I'm going to withdraw." Yeah, and that's not an ethical. Uh, we we frequently have students who, you know, worry about you know, is that right? Is that ethical? Is mm-hmm. it okay to you know? Yes, it's assumed that that's the way things are mm-hmm. going to work, and yeah, absolutely. Okay.
1: Desiree, how much is research valued in an application? I'm looking to reapply for next cycle and I have zero research hours, seven over, I guess, 7000 clinical hours. Wow. Yeah. Undergraduate GPA of 3.3 3 and a science GPA of a 3.0. Special master's program GPA was a 3.9. Nice. Planning nice. on retaking the MCAT.
2: Nice.
1: So, Desiree, I think I think. From just this information that you've given us, um, I think you've got quite a bit of experience. Um, how much is research valued in an application? It's 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 nice to have it and have had that experience, and and it you know reflects nicely on your application. But it's not the only thing that's going to sort of get you into medical school. And many students haven't had an opportunity to. They don't enjoy the, doing research. It's not something that you have to have. It's not required. I think you know looking. Like I said, just this limited information. I mean, your clinical hours speak volumes, right? Having that much experience, um, uh, you know, don't worry about the research, um, the lack of research experience. I wouldn't worry about it.
2: Yep. Agreed.
1: Okay. Yeah. Research is overrated by students. Um, And it's out there, right? In the ether. Yeah, they get, right. Yeah. They get bombarded with you have to do research, you have to do research and I, you know, unless you're applying to an MD or PhD program where it's obviously more of a a, a requirement, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to worry about it. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Another research question. Risa, I guess. Risa or Risa. Hi, Risa. Good afternoon, everyone. Does virtual research count as research experience? Hmm.
2: Virtual research. Don't know. I've ever heard of virtual research. I don't know what that means.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Unless maybe uh, maybe you can clarify that for us.
2: Um, yeah. What Give you Give us were some doing. more information, mm-hmm. uh, Risa. That'd be good. All right. Let's see what else we
1: got. Amy K. Hi, Amy. I attended CME events for a local physician organization that does free surgeries. Uh, I connected with the physicians, one of whom wrote me a, a letter of recommendation. What would this be classified as, as on AMCAS? CME events. I'm not sure what that mm. is.
2: Uh, that's continuing medical education.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I wasn't sure in the contents. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's less about whether this, how this is classified on AMCAS is more about what kinds of letters to the med schools you're applying to want to see, right? So you need to do that due diligence of some of the med schools are looking for only academics. Some are looking for, from physicians, it's a mix. Mm -hmm. Um, But if this is a physician, you know, that wrote you a letter of rec, then that, that might be useful. Mm -hmm. Um, But not, not all med schools are looking for the same letters. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Okay.
1: Deanna asks Does it matter if all of my patient's experience is mostly in one specialty? Good question, Deanna. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess it, what's more. Um, and I think for me would be, what is that patient experience um, mm-hmm. for starters? Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think the fact that you've only been able to, for whatever reason, only stay in that one specialty would be the issue. It's more so, what have you done in that experience? What do you mm-hmm. think, Dr. Wright?
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, what have you done and, and stuff like that? I think optimally uh, getting some experiences and you say mostly Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little confused because you you say doesn't matter if all and then you say mostly so is it all or mostly which which is, <laughs> um, if, if it's all then you know right. I would suggest getting you know maybe some experience in another specialty if it's mostly then that you know seemingly you've got some uh, a little bit in other specialties so uh, I would say uh, optimally I like to see a student who has, you know, shadowing experience with a, a variety of yeah. physicians and some clinical experience in different settings. So, for example, if all your all, if all your patient care experience is hostile, exp, uh, not hostile, um, hospice, maybe <laughs> hospice. Yeah. <that's> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, if it was all uh, hospice, then, uh, <coughs> you, you know, that would be, you know, a, a little bit different than if it was mm-hmm. all hospital Right. Uh, you know, I would say that would be more valuable than all hospice or all nursing mm-hmm. home as opposed to all hospital or all in a in a clinic or a private practice. So it depends a little bit on what it is mm-hmm. and uh, and what you've done. But I would say optimally, maybe a variety of experiences would be good.
1: Yeah. Okay. Great. Nicholas asks, if I am about to start a new scribe job, how long should I wait to ask the physician for a letter of recommendation? <laughs> I see you smiley, Rachel.
0: <laughs> it just uh, uh, Nicholas, with respect, I think this question might be a little backwards. Um, how well are you going to know the physician? Right. What kind of interactions are you going to have with yeah. them? What kind of impression are you going to make on them? Mm-hmm. Um like it, it, relationships can't be defined in that in that yeah. quantified way of, well, I've known you three weeks now. Right. Um, I do think it's perfectly fine once you establish some rapport to let the physician know the same way we often recommend that people do with professors to say, "Look, I will be applying to med school, and I'm hoping, to get to know you and impress you enough that you are interested in writing me a letter. I think it's fine to put that out there, Mm -hmm. you know, not on day one, but sometime in the first couple of weeks, but you, you have to, you have to build a relationship with this person. You have to prove yourself to them. And I don't just mean like schmoozing. I mean, like, showing up and doing good work and being consistent and being excellent. And, you know, like if you're getting praise from that person because you're doing great work, that's probably an indication if they're praising you verbally Mm -hmm. or consistently, not just like good job today. But, you know, like if if you're noticing that they're really impressed with you, that's a good time to say, hey, I really appreciate that you think well of me. And I'd love it if Mm -hmm. actually you could put that in writing. Yeah. Uh, We can't tell you when that's going to happen because we don't
2: know
1: what kind of relationship you're going to have with this person.
2: Right. (laughs) Right. That's right.
1: Yeah. It needs to happen organically. Yeah. Yeah. There's no time frame. Yeah. Just to ask.
0: Yeah. I feel like this is kind of like, I'm going to go on a first date tomorrow. How long should I wait to ask to marry her? Like, find out if if he likes a person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah
2: yeah no i yeah it. I, I agree i i really like vernie what you said about it happening orgasmically. Mm-hmm. i mean or, i mean or, organically <laughs> organically organically
0: if, if it happened First, orgasmically like that is really out.
2: bad oh,
0: Scott's <laughs> oh, having some trouble okay so, I'll <laughs> okay.
2: so organically we want it to happen organically Yes.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I
1: love I love Wednesdays.
2: Uh, this is my favorite part so sorry. of the week.
1: No. <laughs>
2: oh my okay. goodness. It's
1: all good. Armand would like to know, would working as a personal assistant for disabled residents at a dorm at my university count as clinical hours? We help with activities of daily living like shower shifts, bathroom shifts, and lunch, etc. Okay. So, personal no. assistant for a disabled resident at the dorm. I would say no. Yeah, no. Um, and you know, don't discount the experience. Obviously, this is a wonderful opportunity to just serve someone and help someone. Um, and and that's you know a key takeaway that that just because it's not clinical doesn't mean oh I shouldn't do it. Um, I think this is an opportunity to work on you know developing those skills that get tested on the casper we were talking about before the casper absolutely um and just the opportunity to help someone right Mm -hmm. so don't you know don't don't try not to worry about it oh it's not clinical i shouldn't do it that's not the message. Um, but, but no, I don't think this would count as clinical.
2: Yeah. And, and I would say to further what you're saying, Bernie, I completely agree with exactly what mm-hmm. you said. This is an awesome thing that you're doing, Amon. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- what, what I would say further about this is this would be something that I would love to see on a, Activity Mm -hmm. list on AMCAS and really kind of dive into, you know, I don't know if you're planning on this being a most, um, a most meaningful uh, one of your things, but you know, this is awesome experience. It's just not clinical. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And it's one of those things you may not, you know, you're not going to know if it's your most meaningful until you've done it. Right. Right. Um, You hope to kind of walk away from it with that uh, sentiment. Um, So big picture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. look beyond it just being clinical and and look at it as an opportunity to just help somebody out. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Good question from Tristan. Tristan. Okay. Does it matter when you start shadowing, for example, shadowing your freshman year versus junior year?
2: Very good question. How about both? How about both?
1: (laughs) Both and, yeah.
2: Yeah. Why does it
1: have to be or?
2: Start as soon as you, uh, as soon as you know this is or have a sense that this is what you might want to do, uh, Mm -hmm. start shadowing. Absolutely. I I think the earlier, the better.
1: What you don't want to do is kind of try to cram everything in the year that you're applying. Yeah. Right. Because you want to show that you've, you've consistently been thinking about this as a, as a career path and you've been um, getting out there and getting opportunities and experiences to build on that and, and to show you that this is what you want to do. Um, So if you haven't, If you're just sort of coming to that realization now and it's junior year, you know, that's a, that's another sort of conversation to have, right? Yes, absolutely. As Dr. Wright was just saying, you should still go out there and get those shadowing uh, hours and as much experience as possible and potentially think this may not be the right time for you to apply. But if you're just starting out freshman, sophomore in in college, yeah, definitely. As soon as you feel like you think you're, you know, you're going to do this, go shadow. Yeah slow and steady Mm -hmm. consistent is great
2: consistent
0: um yeah it doesn't have to be a bajillion hours just keep getting a little bit um all right let's see we're getting a lot of multi-part questions friends and that's hard for me to follow
1: (laughs) (sighs) chilled c all right hi chilled i am oh there we go I am in an exercise science major at my institution, and I am interested in gaining exposure to research. I was wondering if exercise physiology research would be a red flag to adcoms. Absolutely not. No. I don't think so. Especially if you're interested in it's your major and makes sense. No. It does not have to be biology research or yeah. chemistry research. Um, to me, this this makes sense. What do you think, mm-hmm.
2: Dr. Rick? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Completely agree. It's mm-hmm. certainly not going to be a red flag. I mean, no. that's... no. That's not even in the Mm -hmm. realm of possibilities to me. Uh, But uh, I think definitely, especially if it's like you said, Verenia, if it's something Mm -hmm. they're really interested in. Mm -hmm. So, chilled, I would say, sounds good to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. uh, If Ryan were here, he would say, follow your passions. Yes. That's right. Absolutely. Channel channel Dr. Gray for a second there.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: All right, I, ha- I have to do this one two-parter. Okay.
1: Okay. Hi, uh, is it Michael or Michelle? I'm not sure. Um, have you talked about virtual tutoring? If not, what are your thoughts? Oh, oh, virtual shadowing. <laughs> I have thoughts on
2: both. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's kind of the same thought. Right, actually. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, right.
1: What are our thoughts on virtual shadowing? It's it's a perfect opportunity to gain uh, an you know, experience shadowing, especially since if you haven't been able to get an, an in-person opportunity because of COVID or whatever. Um, perfectly acceptable. Um, it shouldn't. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> in fact, you might've heard of our own virtual shadowing um, program called uh, on eShadowing.com that Dr. Gray runs. Um, you might want to check that out. Hopefully it won't be your only shadowing experience, right? You have to still try and see if you can get something in person or even better, an actual like uh, clinical uh, patient interaction type of experience. Um, but virtual shadowing is is fine. Yeah, we talked
0: to cuz it was about a year ago, right? March March 2021. We talked to several deans and directors of admissions about the way um COVID was impacting admissions. And and Dr. Wright when you did that interview, I think the general consensus was of course it's not as good as in-person shadowing, but it's better than nothing and it shows you tried. Right? Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. All right. Let's see. Looks like we're coming to the end of questions here. We've got a few minutes left if any final ones pop in. I'm just going to scroll back up and see if I missed Mm -hmm. any. Sometimes that happens. Oh, here's a kind of very specific one.
1: Okay. Lisa asks, I am a re-applicant, last applied three-ish years ago. I realized that I did not document all of my shadowing hours that time around. Do I need to explain the sudden jump in hours? Do they see the previous numbers? So, yes, Lisa, they'll see your previous application. Um, I don't know that you would need to explain the sudden jump in hours. Um, I think it just shows that you've continued, um, you know, doing what you're supposed to do, gaining more experience and shadowing. So, no, I don't think you would need to explain that.
0: Yeah, I think she's saying that she'd actually done more at that point. Um, Of of the
2: previous application.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think they're going to be going back and going and looking. You did X hours in 2018 and Y hours in
1: 2019. I see. Okay.
2: Yeah. Or last time, you know, they're not going to get so granular that they're going to say, okay, the past application, you said you had Mm -hmm. 60 hours in this thing. Now you're saying that same thing that you had 100 hours. Why is there a difference? Mm-hmm, I, I think see. that's so granular that they're yeah. not going to get into that yeah. in yeah. comparing to app- uh, previous applications.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, obviously this is part of why it's good to do the application slow and steady, spend mm-hmm. all May doing the entry, print it out, mm-hmm. uh, review, read it backwards, mm-hmm. say it out loud. I mean, you want to make sure it's letter perfect, um, but, but, you know, mistakes happen
1: yeah hmm. right. Okay, question from ente, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Does being put on academic suspension for a year cut your chances for PA school. Okay, yeah, this is a tough one. Um, I you know, it's It's similar to students that maybe get some kind of an institutional action uh, or even you know you know something very severe like this. I don't without knowing your full story and and the full uh, details of you know what happened, I don't want to say that it's going to completely cut your your chances from PA school, but it is something that you're going to have to address and explain
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, in 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 your application
2: yeah it's not going to help right (laughs) yeah that's that's clear so yeah kind of depends on how long ago that was right and uh what the circumstances Mm -hmm. were and you know for a year a year suspension that's pretty Mm -hmm. it's pretty significant so
1: yeah so it's not you know i i don't like to ever say nope that's it you're done um but but it's you know it's going to depend a lot on like that's what right with saying what happened and and kind of explaining that and 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 owning it right
0: mm-hmm.
1: explaining what mm-hmm. happened what you learned from it and and hopefully it doesn't happen or hasn't happened again whatever that was yeah way. And proving you're different now mm-hmm. right yeah. so and yeah. K, if you go
0: to um medicalschoolhq.net um, that's where like all of our archive of our podcasts are, you'll be able to search mm-hmm. academic suspension at institutional action, and you'll find lots of other stories from students who have overcome it, mm-hmm. but yeah, time heal- heals all wounds and yeah, whatever happened to get you suspended, you need to prove that that's not the kind of behavior that you elicit and that can't be anymore. So that can't be done by assertion, right? That has to be done by right. time. Right. That's um, true. Mm-hmm. But good luck. You yeah. Got your dream? Uh, you can still go for it. Absolutely. Good effort. luck. Um, oh, this is a funny one from Cass.
1: Cass, would you accept someone going under an alias for podcasts such as Am I Ready? asking for a friend? <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, Cass, Cass. For, for Am I Ready, that's actually a YouTube video. So, it's a little bit hard to have it be anonymous mm. because they're going to see your face. <laughs> now, we do privatize information. We remove the last name. We make sure things like address aren't seen. Um, but, but you're talking for half an hour on camera and it goes on YouTube. So
2: it's, it's not, we're not going to do one of those things where you're sort of in the shadows and they
0: (laughs) change your voice. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, a dateline special (laughs) right (laughs) yeah um
0: i will remind you guys that if you want to do an am i ready but you want it to be personal and private then you can purchase a single session of advising with dr Wright or dean granum and they will do a personal private version of am i ready with you um that is shown to no one so you can always go to map.com to check that out um all right, it's 157. We probably got time for one more. Sure.
1: Daywave Treasures asks As a reapplicant applied 2019, do I include all previous ECs, college 2012 to 2017 through 2019, or do I group them and add my new gap experiences since 2019 to present? So I don't um, think that, I think. You, you, obviously, you're still going to include them all. Um, I'm trying to understand yeah. how they're asking. Go
0: ahead. I guess it sounds like you're almost thinking, like, well, they've seen those before. You need to act like this is a fresh application. Mm-hmm. Assume new eyes. They're just getting to know you. They know nothing about you and present yes. yourself
1: that way.
2: Yes, absolutely. So include everything. Yep. Yep. Group. Just okay. as if you had never applied.
1: Exactly. And um, on that note,
0: yeah. Ryan says hi, guys. Hello. He's he's uh home today with a with yeah. the child. Um, dad, take he's, care. He's, well, just daddy being dad.
2: <laughs> Yay! Good <Get laughs> for what dads too. Good for Ryan. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, he's here. All right. Well, that takes us, I think, to the end of our hour.
2: Yay. Yay. It's always um, good to be with you guys and interact with, with my colleagues, but also with you as the applicants. This is absolutely. awesome.
0: Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So a uh, final reminder, if you're interested in application Academy, that's group coaching for people applying to med school in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're watching live today is Wednesday, February 22nd, Oh, February 2nd. <laughs> you have two <laughs> more days to, to enroll. Just go to applicationacademy.com. Um, And if we didn't get to your question this week, we will be back same time, same place, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern on Mapped YouTube next week.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, see you then. Bye. Bye.
2: This is Dr. Gray again, closing
0: out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only
1: tool like it, for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.